This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. And three, two, one. All right, we're good. This is episode 26. I'm Canyon Clark here with Jeff Ryan, Scott Clark. Nate's not with us tonight. We're doing this one a little late because we had some stuff going on. I had some stuff going on, so I'm holding everybody back. But tonight, we're going to talk about uh, an article in, I have to check and see which magazine I even have, the Bowhunter Magazine, the April-May edition for this year, um, by Dr. Dave Samuel, the no hunting section, the public perception of hunters. So I thought there was some good stuff in here. We talk a lot about getting more people into hunting, the traditions of it, and then the public perception of hunting has a lot to do with what we do, policies and stuff like that get made because of it anti-hunters and all that so i want to talk about this because i thought it was interesting and then after we talk about that i want to talk about food plot equipment since we're getting i mean we're right into food plot season we're getting started on client properties well i actually did was on one in yesterday so we're going to talk about that stuff that we'll go from like uh just a regular working man budget all the way up to if you've got Jeff Fry budget. Yeah. Biden. I don't want to say an unlimited budget, but, you know, if you got a lot of money you can spend on your food plots, then we'll talk about what equipment would be good for that situation as well. So we'll go all the way through the scale there when we get to that. But to start, I'm going to read this first part of this article. He starts, Last summer, my friend Russ Mason from Michigan wrote a great article for Michigan Out of Doors. It was about branding. For hunters, branding means giving the non-hunting public a positive perception of hunting. How does the non-hunting public see us? How do anti-hunters see us? How do we see ourselves? How are we branded by the public and by ourselves? Hunters see themselves as conservationists when it comes to wildlife and their environment. While that is true, what is also true is that a lot of the general public doesn't see hunters that way. If an industry is threatening a local wetland by some type of construction, and citizens come together to discuss how that negatively impacts that wetland, how many hunters are in that group? In most cases, not very many. To the general public, hunters are not branded as environmentalists. The shame of that is that hunters sit in blinds, hunting waterfowl, and know the value of wetland to ducks. Hunters can identify the species of waterfowl and also know a lot about other wildlife using using and benefiting from that wetland. They can influence their brand by attending such meetings in large numbers. A lot of anti-hunter dialogue is focused on the idea that total preservation of wildlife is much better than conservation of wildlife. Total preservation means no killing involved, but hunters know that conservation includes harvest to achieve better wildlife management. As Russ pointed out in his article on branding, hunting has an image problem and hunters haven't done enough to correct it. Russ also notes that even with his this image problem, the non-hunting public still leans towards supporting hunting as a tool for wildlife management. They also view hunting in a positive light if the harvest is used for food. One great marketing tool that was started by my friend Bob Easterbrook was the idea that hunters could donate venison to the needy. The general public loves that idea that hunters donate venison, and it really improved the image of hunters and hunting. So, what other things can be done to improve the hunter's image with the public? There are already a huge section of the public who use the outdoors, and some are friends of hunting. Perhaps the biggest group is bird watchers. They spend lots of money just to be able to see and identify birds. In fact, hunting and bird watching have many of the same attributes except for the harvest. Wildlife photographers do too. Their kill is a quality photo. Obviously, the hunter image with the non-hunting public could be enhanced if there was association with bird watchers, photographers, and other outdoor enthusiasts. Hunters have lagged behind when it comes to getting their brand out via social media. More hunters now use social media, but they seem to do it to talk to each other rather than interact with non-hunters, improving our brand must involve the media. So then after that, he talks about some programs that are out there, um, including one uh, that that gets its funding from a surcharge on licenses. And I think that's an okay idea. And we'll talk about a little bit about maybe what you guys' thoughts are and what we can do to improve our brand as deer hunters. Because obviously there is, you see anti-hunters on strike all the time and talking about not wanting to hunt. And anytime anybody posts a picture of something they've killed, you've got... You know, everybody out there slamming them for killing an animal and all this crap. So there definitely is an image problem. 
But then when he gets into that about the the license surcharges and the programs, the issue I have with that, especially in Illinois, is if we fund an organization to build our brand through something like a license surcharge, that means it's a government program. And we all know how well the government does with spending. So I don't trust enough that they're going to use the money in right ways. So if there are private private companies out there doing things, okay, that's one thing. You can support those guys if they're doing similar stuff, trying to improve our image as hunters. But I think he hit on the biggest one, uh, as prevalent and as big as social media is. And we've tried to do some of this, starting a hunting group for Southern Illinois guys, that kind of stuff, and being active on social media through our posts and stuff. Uh, we can do that individually to educate non-hunters on what we actually do it's not like we're just out there bloodthirsty carnivores killing everything that moves not the hell you lost me at bird watching (laughs) yeah (laughs) i had had no idea (laughs) but that's what what he's saying there is oh birds i've watched turkeys strutting by and i couldn't shoot them Uh (laughs) but what he's saying is uh people who don't do that don't see bird watching as a bad thing because they don't kill any birds but if you think about it like when I'm out duck hunting, I can kill six ducks. I do a lot of bird watching and identifying <laughs> while I'm duck hunting. That's a fact. And then, you know, I've killed my six ducks. That's great. And there's value in that as well. Like he's talking about preservation versus conservation. Uh, preservation documented, you know, there's been studies on that, that if you just let everything live without any... I mean, we're we're predators. We're in the food chain just like everything else. If we don't do our part in taking wildlife... Because we're here, because yeah. a human species is here, we can't just be preservation. Exactly. We have to be conservation. Things would be out of balance. You, ex- We have made those out of balance as a species yeah. so that as conservationists, we can try to bring that stuff back into balance. But we yeah. can't just let it go because we have too much of an effect uh, uh, on the ecosystem because mm-hmm. of what we are and what we do. Yeah, and it's... Well, if you take all the coyotes out of the population, which obviously there's too many, we need to take some of them out, but they're not conserving. Like, obviously, they're killing everything they can kill. But if still, if you go wipe all of them out, it's going to have a huge impact on the whole ecosystem because you're taking that predator out. So if we sit back and, I mean, we're not allowed to kill anything, it's going to get pretty bad, you know, in a lot of ways. There'll be a lot of trickle-down effect from that. Well, I look back at... uh what was it, Scott? 2012 when we had the big hit on the mm-hmm. blue tongue. I think it was 07 and 2012. Yeah, was 12 was the last one. 12 was the big one. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I remember hunting deer before then. And <clears throat> certain property I was hunting, you know, it'd be nothing to walk, to sit in your blind and see 30 or 40 deer come walking out at one time. And back then, the big thing was the trophy hunting. You know, let the does walk, shoot the bucks, and, you know, and trophy bucks and all this stuff. And, of course, I fell into that trap myself. Not that I'm proud of it, but, you know, it it just happened. I mean, that that was the, mm-hmm. that was was like the, the trend. The ideals at the time. You fell into a few traps in your day. Well, I have. <laughs> Most of them was two-legged. But... <laughs> Okay, all of them was too late. I wasn't going there. But, well, I know where you went. Mm-hmm. I just shut the door. <laughs> but you anyway, know, anyways, you know, um, after after that, well, then uh, we had the blue tongue mm-hmm. hit, and you went from seeing thirty to forty deer a trip to maybe seeing five. Yeah. So if we don't take an active role in uh conservation mother nature is and mother nature is cruel way more cruel than most hunters i know way more cruel Mm -hmm. you know and uh and we're still recovering from that we're just now starting to bounce back a little bit yep and And there's uh, that's the big thing we got to get out to the non-hunting public like he's talking about improper image it's just how important conservation is because like you said mother nature is cruel and oh, she's a bitch. There's a lot of good, even social media accounts that show just how rough animals have it in nature. And I think a big part of the preservation and let them all live idea is people have this idea of like the movie Bambi, where, yeah. where all these animals are just happy go lucky living out there by themselves and no people are bothering them. Mommy and daddy and the whole yeah. family group. Uh, an arrow through the lungs or the heart is probably the most humane death 
that an animal is going to have yep. in the wild. I, whether you're talking about elk, even bears, deer, rabbits, whatever it is, uh, we're going to be the most humane death that, that that animal has. And that's not to say we need to go out there and kill them all, because obviously you can get it too far into that too, which uh, you know happened back in the day with species that they endangered by killing too many of them. Um, but there's a balance there, and conservation is, is so important in that. And, and that's the message that we need to get out, whether it be through podcasts like this, social media stuff, website or uh, uh, Facebook groups, pages and stuff like that, and getting out there and talking about it. And even, you know, some of these groups that are doing good work, like the one he mentions, I'm sure they do a good job you know, uh, wherever they're at. I don't remember where he said they were located, but the group that they're running, I'm sure they do a good job of pushing messaging and stuff. But And what he talks about is like when there's some anti-hunting legislation that comes up and all these people that are for it, these anti-hunters, uh, quote-unquote environmentalists that don't really know what they're talking about, are pushing all this propaganda and false narratives and lying to people, and they are getting it out there better than we are with actual facts and what, what it really means to be a hunter and a conservationist. And, and that's a problem because you have you got wackos on both ends. <clears throat> you got... You got That's your, not politically correct. Well, I'm not. We're not doing it into politics. <laughs> but you got environmentalists. They call themselves tree huggers, whatever you want to call them. You got the way out there that says, you know, don't kill nothing, let everything be, and and case of raw, raw. And then you got, and then we have some on the other side of that spectrum. Is if it's moving, I'm going to shoot at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's brown. It's down. Doesn't matter what. Just put it on the scope. Put the crosshairs on it and let her fly. Yep. But the vast majority of people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. We cannot, no matter what we do, no matter how much money or time we spend with those folks, we're not going to change the wackos on this side. On either side. You're not going to change the wackos on that side. Right. right. We need to concentrate on the guys, the, the folks that are in the middle, where most of us are. The sensible people. The sensible people. And, and this is why we do what we do. Yes, we enjoy it. Yes, we love it. But it is actually better for everybody involved, everything involved, every animal involved, if we do it this way conservatively as opposed to this side or that side. Yeah, and that's the people, like you said, you're fighting for is the ones that are actually going to take what they're seeing and take what you're telling them and make sense of it. And they're not so far dug into whatever position they have that they're actually going to take that information and use it and then make you know the right decision about it, and like you said, that's the ma- the vast majority of people. So if we can reach them, then we're going to have a lot more people in favor of hunting. And then not only that, you know, in turn, you're going to have more people that actually want to get into deer hunting. If we can get out there more, that what we do, I'm sure there's people that are kind of in the middle that don't hunt because they've seen more stuff about it being bad. If they'd see more of the stuff we're talking about now, they think you know maybe that's a good idea. Maybe I ought to get out there and either whether it's do my part or I like eating meat, so I'll just get out there and do it for myself. And there's something to be said about going out and harvesting an animal and coming back and eating it and all that. The, the problem we have, I believe, as conser- as conservationists and conservatives, is we don't normally voice our opinion. Mm-hmm. We're only, we'll take it to a point, but most of the time it never gets to that point. Yep. So your people way out there on the other side, uh, they look at hunters as you know tobacco-spitting, uh, exhaust rambling, uh, gun toting, beer drinking, uh, beer drinking idiots. Yeah. And and we say, yeah, that's not us. But that's all we do. We yeah. we say that's not us. And and that's not most of the time. That's not enough. Yeah. We let the the loudest voice on the far end of our spectrum speak for us instead of standing up and actually telling people what we think. It's like you said. We just put up with it for so long, and then we say, yeah, but that's not us. But then that's all the the people in the middle here is from that loud voice on the other side. Exactly. And that's what I was, that's the point I was getting ready to make before you said that, was that, um, you know, although we might be the majority of the hunters, we're the quietest. Yep. We don't say nothing. We do our thing and just go on about our business and keep our heads down and just do what we do. And... While you got the other wackos mm-hmm. that are screaming and hollering and carrying on, uh, 
you know, and they're the ones that get the attention and they're the ones that the uneducated right. part of the public squeaky wheel gets the grease. Exactly. Mm. You know, that's the ones they listen to. That's the ones they listen to. We don't squeak enough. We that's don't. Sil- There's a reason the they call silent us majority. The silent majority. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And you know, you hear that obviously more with the politics thing, but it definitely goes for deer hunters too. Well, not just deer hunters. Well, but it goes for everything in general. Conservationists. I mean, you don't hear from the people who, like us, who are in the middle, who actually you know do this as conservationists and have some sense about it. And we're not on that far like you're talking about the. Guys that just kill everything that walks and loud mouth running around shooting them out of the pickup truck and, and all that. And that's not all of us. It's not even most of us. Not even close. So I think, those are the ones you hear about. Yes. Because those are the ones that get caught or those are the ones they depict in their yep. propaganda. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think he, that's why I said earlier, he nailed that point at the end, like social media. It's, there's, it's so prevalent today and you can reach so many people. We need to do a better job using it as a tool to get what we're trying to say so, out there. So how do we do that? Uh, well, <laughs> what he said, like what he was talking about, is we'll get on social media and these big guys will use it. I think Michael Waldell does a really good job fighting this point. He's got a big voice, one of the biggest in the industry. Boy, did you see his last video? No, I didn't. Man, he turned loose on him. I, I mean, mean, he did. I was proud of him. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, Michael. Let yeah. him have it. Yeah, he's been... Uh, so one. if I'm John John Q listener and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm the same as we are I'm I'm a in the middle of the road conservationist love to hunt follow the rules kind of keep my mouth shut guy how do I do what we're wanting to do how do I get that message how do I get my message out to those well I think people? you got to reach the people you know so like uh, <clears throat> like I agree. Michael Michael Waldell has a huge uh, scope of impact. Okay, so anything he says, yeah, is going to reach that many people. But as John Q. Public, John Q. Deer Hunter, in this case, he's going to have to go to... Because everybody knows somebody who's against hunting, for the most part. Or you know people in the middle. You go to those people... You're related to something. Yeah. (laughs) Are you posted on... (laughs) Yes, you are. I'm just saying. Well, you are too, so... No, no, no. If you... If you kill a nice doe or you kill a nice buck or something or you're doing something to improve habitat for wildlife and you put it on your Facebook page and you kind of say, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm improving this for the wildlife so these deer can flourish flourish, excuse me, where they're at so I can harvest the ones that need to be taken out so the rest of them can do better and this is why we're doing it. And you can share things, uh, actually educational things, not just the... Big buck stuff and all that and, and all the, you know, the gory kill shots or whatever you want to share. Share that kind of stuff. And then you're going to, even though you have this smaller scope of impact, you're going to impact those certain people that are in the middle that you know or that know you. And then maybe they turn, they change their opinion on it. And then if they do, maybe they reach another, their scope that you don't have. So wherever that interlaps, they're still going to have people that, you don't interact with that maybe they'll now interact with and you can kind of have an impact that way. So I don't think it's going to be as direct as some of the bigger names in the industry, but I think that's how you do it. That's how it starts. And whether it's Instagram's big about it. I mean, you just post a picture and put a caption with it. Everything on there is pictures. So you post a picture with a deer. Even the people who are against hunting are going to want to look at what you've got to say. If you say something smart or educational or you're not an idiot about it, you're going to have some impact on them, and I think that's how you do it, and that's how you... Oh, you're going to have an impact whether you're an idiot or exactly. not. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have a good impact. There you go. A positive the correct impact. impact. Yeah. Yes. And, and that, what, they, what they don't understand is, like, with the food plots and stuff that we do, you know, you're not just out there uh, helping the deer herd mm-hmm. and get your trophy buck or whatever, but you're helping way so much more other wildlife oh, yeah. also. It's not just you know, a bait pile. No. And not saying there's anything wrong with bait piles to kill deer either. Not if it's legal in your state. Right. <laughs> but it's not, I mean, there's, you're, doing, it's not. you're doing so much more like you're talking about. Yeah. For all the other wildlife there. Yeah. I mean, just because you're doing something and you have this target species in mind mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're not helping the other wildlife that's in the area. Oh, we've seen, we, yeah, we've been witness to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the rabbits and quail and stuff that's coming back. You know, yep. because of our food plots and even the turkeys, although, you know, 
we have an issue with uh, coons and bobcats here in Illinois now mm-hmm. because uh, Kansas. Kansas, yeah, I'm man. sorry. And I think wherever the hell we're at. But <laughs> I don't know at this point. Any given but, night, it could be different. But, you know. I never know. Roll the dice. Yep. But I, you, you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. um, what we do for one target species doesn't only benefit the, our target species, but it also benefits the rest of the ecosystem also. And I think you bring up another good point there as far as, like, predator hunting. I mean, if you post a picture that you're out there – shooting coyotes or legally bobcats or, or the raccoons and you know maybe not you're maybe you're not posting a video where you've got him in a trap and you're shooting him because obviously all the people who are leaning that against is, think, i've seen a lot of that um yeah and social I media i don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think there's anything wrong but the with people it, who but are on the fence are exactly. not going to see that as the right way to do it right but if you can post you know something about this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it and, you know, you see pictures all the time of coyotes eating dogs in the backyard. Mm. People can get on board with that. Yep. And then that's going to be another benefit, I think, as well. And obviously the predator hunting, like you said, and the habitat improvement for other species, the two biggest things, like we're, our turkey numbers have been, are really down. Bad. Our, our quail numbers have been down. Non-existent. Our rabbit almost. numbers have been down. And Non-existent. You, and you talk to the biologists and everybody who has an opinion about it, and most of them agree that, the two biggest things, and they'll switch them, whoever you're talking to, depending on who you're talking to, is habitat and predation. Mm-hmm. Whether that's nest predation or actual uh, adult predation or... or uh, However you want to say it. But yeah. You know, predation in general. Juvenile predation. Yeah, whatever it is. So, like you said, if you're improving that habitat, you're going to improve that other species as well. If you're out there working on the predation part of it you're improving not just your target species but all those others as well so well let's just look at you know a lot of our food plots that we do we encourage switchgrass you know not only as a cover for the deer you know walking into your stands or whatever right or bedding areas but uh rabbits and quail they love the switchgrass yeah i mean the fescue that (laughs) Yeah. the states have put out there that's a joke and honestly a, a, a field mouse won't even hardly stay on fescue i right. mean there's nothing to gain from it and but. honestly most like if you get north of us where their winters get colder and they get more snowfall mm-hmm. sooner than we do even a lot of the crp blends are not very good no for winter structure for deer right. i mean for uh rabbits and for w- anything. mice anything because as soon as that first snow comes it's knocking that stuff down Yep. And then every bird in the sky can see every not rabbit. Not knocking it down. Mouse. The undergrowth is not thick enough exactly. to create tunnels. and Yeah, and there's no structure. It. There's no structure underneath there, which is what rabbits and quail need when you got hawks and mm-hmm. coyotes and everything else. If you and the turkeys even... as well. I mean, turkeys, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, we, like you said, we like the switchgrass so much because it stands up to that and it provides structure, not only for the deer, for everything else. Yeah. And, it, and that's... Those are the messages we got to well, get at, out, do a better job of getting let's out Let's just look at our one client we got in southeast Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, we planted a bunch of Swiss grass for him, and he started seeing rabbits and quail that he's never seen before. Yeah, doves. I mean, everything. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just. And that's, we see that because we are on the property doing it. Right. And I shared some of that on our social media posts and stuff, and I like to think we had some influence to some people through that but that's the stuff as the general hunting public that when we see it we need to share that kind of stuff with the rest of the world because it's really cool to see it it'd be even cooler if we could share it with people and they could see it too and they could understand how much benefit the things we're doing actually have on the ecosystem as a whole exactly that your benefit in the ecosystem you're helping those poor little rabbits that get picked out of the sky by a hawk or whatever mm-hmm. and rather than you posting a bloody picture of a deer you just killed yep. nothing i have absolutely no problem with the bloody right. picture of the deer no no that's but the ones on living. the fence are going to want to see that you're a conservationist mm-hmm. as yep. well look what i'm look how i'm helping this, this yeah yeah exactly. exactly you gotta you have to kind of meet those people in a, some kind of common ground even though we're not consciously doing it. 
Right. We have, even we have one goal in mind. We're doing, it, we're doing it, you know, uh, specifically that client, we're doing it for deer. Yeah. And a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're but doing it specifically lot, for deer. Yeah, but but yeah. there's a lot of gain from what we're doing also as far as the ecosystem so and the I whole think, goes. I think you're, you're right. I think we need to maybe be more conscious of of getting the gain posts out there yeah. as well as the deer kill post and mm-hmm. the big buck post right. and all that stuff. We all like to see. Yeah, you've got them, post them. I'm all yeah. for that. Yeah. But maybe we should, instead of posting the picture, at, not instead of, but as well as posting right. a picture of our deer and all that, maybe post a picture of the of the property that we've seen rabbits and quail yeah. and all that mm-hmm. stuff on say look what we're doing mm-hmm. where there yeah. wasn't any before where there was none before and just there. because those posts initially don't get that much attention when you do post that deer harvest people go to your page and they think man look at this guy he's just out there killing these very little animals and then they look and see these other posts and it's a switchgrass field or it's a clover food plot or it's a brassica plot and they click on that and they see what you're actually doing and think well you know maybe that ain't such a bad thing and even if they're not on board with, they don't want to go kill a deer themselves, but they start to see our side of it. And then they understand, and they're not going to turn into one of these anti-hunters. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't turn them into a hunter either, but they're not against us. Yep. They're at and least on our side of the fence. You know, you post our, you uh, touched on the clover plots and stuff. You know, the clover plots don't just benefit deer. Exactly. It's the same as the habitats. Any other vegetarians, you know, which is mostly everything that's not out me. there not except not, for yeah. you and me right <clears throat> you know but you know like the the rabbits the the turkeys eat the hell out of the oh, clover yeah. and chicory yep you know and so all these other animals you know it's not only benefiting the deer your target species but it's also benefiting everything else in the ecosystem too just just simply by planting a clover plot or mm-hmm. chicory plot yep which brings me back to the point i think if, if we're taking pictures of ourselves and we're posting on social media I, go for it i I've got no problem with it i like to watch it. I'll, I'll go through there and mm-hmm. i'll look at them as much as anybody and those are the ones that's going to get attention sure <laughs> but along with those we could post other pictures of us being conservationist as well. Yeah. And maybe we'll reach out to that target audience that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, it's not going to hurt anything. We're not going to change the far guys over here. We're not going to change no. the far people on the other end of mm-hmm. the spectrum. But but this, the middle is what you have to sway your one way or the other. Yeah. So maybe... Maybe pictures of, of both ends of that might, might certainly couldn't hurt. Yeah, and like I said, you don't even necessarily have to turn them into a hunter. No. You just, no. just got to make just them show understand. Them what doing. You don't have to make them for you. Doing. You just have to make them not against you. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that's one of the biggest threats that we have is the people who are against us that have those loud voices that aren't, aren't afraid to voice their opinions, wrong as they may be. And, and then I, it turns into legislation. That, I checked I checked that uh the legislation that was uh, proposed about the uh, the game contest con- the, go- the game contest has, not, contest has not moved. Good. I looked at that. <clears throat> I'll try to keep us abreast of that as it as it continues, or hopefully as it dies. Though that's what we got to kind of. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to stop. You got to draw the line somewhere. Yep. So uh, we need to make sure we know where that line is. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff we can help avoid if we do, you know, what we're talking about and what he was talking about in the article. Get out there, the the good stuff that we're doing, not just the harvest and stuff, but actually the whole process and everything we're doing to benefit all so, the wildlife. So for anybody that didn't listen to that episode where we discussed that before, um, there's legislation in, I believe it's Illinois. Illinois, yeah. Yeah, Illinois. Uh, that, that makes it illegal to have any type of game contest like the coyote contest any kind well it would be the same as our big buck contest like no big buck contest it's a fur like right now the coyote contest is going on any that's the first thought i had too any that's making making big buck contests any of that's all illegal it has it's been proposed it kind of got a co-sponsor it went to a committee and hasn't moved since then it doesn't seem like it's gained a lot of momentum but we need definitely, as as conservationists, we need to stay on top of it. So I will try to keep everybody abreast in this podcast about everybody, anybody in Illinois that's listening to this podcast, I'll keep you abreast of that or try to. Yeah. Fortunately, we're not in Illinois. I didn't say that. Yeah. 
And I'll be damned if we was. I mean, that's yeah, that would. <laughs> Another thing, you know, as far as benefiting the wildlife and all that, that we can be doing, and a good would be a good thing to share, is the minerals and stuff and the game supplements. Which, if you're gonna do that stuff, go check out our newest sponsor to the podcast. How about that? segue right there excellent i hey i'm telling you <laughs> racks big game supplements this but seriously these guys they're a veteran-owned company they're out of northeast nebraska um, they're deer hunters just like you and me who at the time they're looking to get more out of the minerals and feed than what the existing market offered uh, they developed racks products through years of research and came up with one of the best mix, best mixes available that will help improve your herds and overall health while not feeding non-target species like raccoons and if i can do that if i can know spend my money and actually get, you it, spell get it to affect the deer r-a-k-s and we'll get to that in just a second i just I there's just a promo it. code they have minerals protein blocks pelletized feed and meal feed all specifically designed for whitetails like i said you're not going to feed the non-target species with this so you're going to be benefiting your deer herd uh, you can use discount code r-h-o-22 that's capital r-h-o-22 at checkout and you'll receive five percent off your entire order at racksmineral.com R-A-K-S, mineral.com. You can stop by the shop also when we get that opened up. We'll have some of their stuff in stock. And then if you want to make an order through them, but you don't want to mess with the shipping, we can do that for you as well. So as soon as we get that stuff in and the shop going, I will keep you guys updated on that. But with those guys and using that minerals and stuff, that's that's another way you can share that we're actually trying to help the deer herd because we're not going to shoot every one of the deer that come in. And I, I wouldn't mind mineral. it. I think I'm actually going to put that on my... Jeff property. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna do that. I mean up there. Oh well uh, I'm at I'm, Yeah, Hunter and I I'm in on my Jeff property. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the other <laughs> Jeff the Jeff with the G property. The yes. G property. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. Hunter and I walked out today and she found some bedding areas and stuff up there and I think there's a uh, there's a good opportunity to put some of that minerals down there mm-hmm. and just uh, just try that out. Sure. Yep. I've admittedly never ran a lot of minerals and supplements and stuff before, but now the more we get into this Obviously, there's. I don't really see much downside to it. The biggest one, you know, they talk about the spread of the disease a lot and the CWD and that. If you see that in your area and they do prohibit that kind of stuff, believe me, that's with good reason. Because there's the CWD is, is a huge threat to deer populations in general because there's no cure for it and it's a death sentence for the deer. And it spreads easy. It spreads a lot of ways. But... That would be the only downside, and we don't really have that issue right now, fortunately, where we're at in big numbers. So I'm going to start running them, too, with these guys, and and I look they, forward to seeing the benefits tested, of it. tested for that around here, and they've never found any in our immediate area. Yeah. Um, there are different places you can go get that tested. There's places that do test for that. Fortunately for us, uh, we don't have to deal with it yet. Yep. Now, we, is that is that something that uh, you just throw out there on the ground or – you know, like um, they have so or, or is that something that you got put into a feeding station? So they have both. So they have the minerals you can put out, like the, uh, like, for example, like the analogics mineral dirt stuff that they have. You can use it the same way as you would that. Just put it out. Um, you can create like a dirt lick. They would call it. Mm-hmm. They have protein blocks you can put out, like any other attractant rock, mineral rock, whatever it is. And then their pelletized feed. They've actually made to put in feeders like that was specifically the reason that they come up with that pelletized feed to put in a deer feeder and use it that way and then their meal feed obviously could be used the same way or you could just put it out like you would a, a corn pile so so you have got to, you a have lot to of check stuff. into your local local yeah. laws and stuff on what you can yep. use and legally use and stuff and most of the time well like for our case a lot of it has to do with hunting over it mm-hmm. but like you said for sure check out whatever your local laws and stuff are on it. But I'd be interested. They have a lot of options. Like, where we're at up there, where we was at today, you know, we got the bedding area on the southeast side of the property, and then they have to actually cross a, a creek or a ditch to get to the uh, other property where there's also some horses run. I, I thought about putting like a, a place out there where – uh, you could actually see if they're actually using it or how much they're using it. Not if they're using it, but how much they're using it. And if I, not that I would want to necessarily gain anything from it, but yeah. 
And, you know, it's something you can put a camera over, too, and just see what you got. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, there's some trees out there I could put a camera over. If you put, I wonder if a guy put that close to a trail, if they, yeah. if that would be the thing to do. Because I'm not trying to take them anywhere or lead them anywhere, just trying to put that out there where right. they are, you know. I feel like if you're stuck between, if you're thinking about putting out, say, a corn pile or an attractant, for just specifically for taking pictures, go ahead and put a mineral out there. And then at least maybe they're getting some benefit from it. Where obviously they're going to get the energy and stuff from a corn pile. The attractants aren't going to have a lot of benefit for them nutritionally. But if you put the protein there, you're still going to have some attraction to it. And they're going to see that added benefit from but if you got whatever a, mineral. If I have a 70-acre cornfield on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. what's a corn pile going to do? It doesn't make a lot of sense to have a corn pile. Uh, well, that's what I'm getting at. The yeah. mineral may make more sense. Yeah, and it may than actually the, be more attractive. Yeah, the, yeah, more attractive than the corn because they can got seventy acres of corn. What what? what, what, what and what, honestly, what? if you do, if if you go into the science of it, uh, corn's not really oh, that much. You're not going to get the science, are well, you? Well, I'm just saying, you know, if you get into the science of it, uh, corn's not really that. It's not nutritional. It's not nutritional beneficial. It's energy. It's, it's carbohydrates, it's carbs, is yeah. all it is. which is energy. Which uh, is important in their diet for you know like the winter time and yeah staying warm and all that but but yeah it's not gonna you're help. not going to get antler growth or right any of fetal growth that, anything like that yeah uh, fawn whatever yep. off of it it's just something that's just going to get them through the winter yep pretty much the hard months and and then you're going to see more I think long term use out of a mineral as well like if you especially if you use a traditional mineral put it down they're going to eat on that spot when the rain washes it out. For a long time, whereas when they get the corn pile gone, it's gone. They're done yep. with it, and you got to keep that thing up. Yep. And obviously, you know the feed; you have to keep that up too. But if you're going for the minerals and the protein blocks and stuff, that stuff's going to get down in the soil, and then they're going to use that. Well, if you're, go, if you're going time. through the beneficial, long-term beneficial of the herd, that's what you got to go with. Yeah, you know. Yep. And then I think leave the attractants in the corn piles for those states where you can. You want them to go to this specific spot 20 yards from your stand. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be something where they're coming in, and it's going to be a stop for them yep. instead of you having to stop them, yep. you know, by yourself. So, Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be trying to stop them necessarily. I'd just be trying to maybe take some pictures. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be what I'd be interested in, see kind of what's there, what's sticking around from week to week or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and, and along with the health of the herd, obviously. But Yep. And I think, if, you know, like I said, if you're going to do that, you might as well be having some benefit to them anyway. So. Right. And if you're going to do that, go check those guys out. Uh, like I said the last time, anytime we can help get the word out for a veteran-owned company, and they're not a big business, they're kind of like us, just a small business trying to get their stuff out there, trying to get their name out there. Um, and they do have, you know, they got a pretty good, they do a good job with getting their name out there already, and I'm glad we can partner with them. That's the kind of companies I want to work with as far as the podcast goes. And they make good product, too. So, I mean, just because they're a a veteran-owned company, if they make a crappy product, I don't really want to partner with them anyway. But these guys got to, I mean, they hit all the marks for me, personally. Well, you know, we plan on using that on the Jeff Fry (laughs) yeah, you know, property and stuff. And so we'll put a camera over it, and we'll see what happens. Yep, and you know we'll put that out there online for everybody else to see, and and go from there. You know. Yep. So that kind of covers the first part of what I talk, what I want to talk about tonight. And then, like I said, I want to get into food plot equipment as well, since that's gonna be coming up. That's it. I mean, we're right in the middle of that time of year. So I want to talk about from small budget to big budget, what our ideal food plot equipment would be. So as we start with the lower end of the budget we'll say my biggest two things that i think you could do a lot of food plots with if you do them the right way and you get the right seeds and you do everything in the right timing would be a sprayer whether that be just a gallon pump sprayer or a four gallon backpack sprayer which i think is really handy and an over-the-shoulder cedar you can do a lot with those two things, and I'll talk about that in a second if you guys don't hit on everything I'm going to say, but what are you guys' thoughts on, like, bottom of the budget? You want to put in a food plot, but you don't have a lot of money to spend on equipment. A sprayer and a cedar, in my opinion, can get you a long way. Whenever, oh, 
gosh, I can't remember how long ago it's been. Probably 10 years ago. Well, even before that, I started doing food plots back in um, the early 2000s. I didn't have a four-wheeler, and all this other stuff wasn't available. And so all my food plots was done by hand. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd work the ground with a tractor and disc and, and that, but as far as the fertilizer and lime and mm-hmm. and the seed, I did it all by hand, you know, and even the spraying, like you said, you mentioned that four-gallon sprayer that goes on your back, you know, mm-hmm. I'd walk out there and I'd spend the time and energy and put the work into it. Uh, now, nowadays you don't have to do all that work like we did back then, which is handy. But if you can't afford it and, you know, get out there, get your hands dirty and put the work into it and you'll get the results that you want. Yep. I think there's a ton of satisfaction in that. I think there's more satisfaction in that than, than what there is. And probably you're way. going to end up with more production on less ground yep. than if you try to plant. Uh, uh, let's say you're doing that by hand and you're really concentrating on a half an acre. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you're working and you're walking and you're doing all those kind of things. You're probably going to end up with a better food plot than if you half-assed a three-acre plot I because you only yeah. had half as much money as you needed. There's going to be that you're, inadvertent you're going, benefit there. Well, it's, yeah. just, it's just like anything else. You're going to get the results. you got to put the work into it. It's, it's like going to get what you put into it. It's yeah. like growing a good garden. You, yeah. you put the work into it in the spring, and long about June, July, you're starting to see some benefits mm-hmm. of your uh, fruits of your labor, so yep. to speak. And, and there's a lot of satisfaction in sitting out on the front porch and looking at that yeah. or, or the back porch or, or driving down to your food plot or whatever the case might be. There's, or in this case, sitting in on stand in October and seeing all those deer exactly. pile into that yeah. half acre, yeah. acre food plot. Knowing that you didn't have to have that $10,000 budget. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you went out there with a few hundred bucks and some, not that there's anything some, wrong with the ten thousand. No, 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 no. But but I, you don't have to have if right. if you're willing to work or and in a lot of cases have time. Yeah, there there are people that would love to do that kind of stuff, but don't just don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we come in and you come in Canyon in in both situations, either guys that have the money or guys that don't have the time and everywhere in between and we've seen you've got clients on on both ends of that spectrum yeah so yeah that's i think if you do like i said do it the right way you can get in there with the sprayer and do what you need to do they make like essentially cover crops for food plots like a buckwheat for example you can go in and broadcast that thing in the springtime then going into the fall broadcast your food plot seed into that if you're not i mean if you're planting a fall plot for example and then spray that stuff, and you're going to have a good fall plot. If you want to do the clover plot, get in there with some, whether it be a pre-emergent that you want to put down before green up or even after green up, and you just spray it a few times in the year with some glyphosate, get out there and spray that thing in the springtime, put down your clover. Clover doesn't have to have any, I mean, seed to soil is all you need with clover, and then you can keep up with it with the, the selective herbicides with a sprayer and then you've got a clover plot with a sprayer and a cedar and now obviously some of that depends on what you're starting from because if you're starting from a big grown up field you're going to have to do some mowing and some things like that if you've got planted <laughs> fescue you're going to have issues with that but you can get and you might have to be more picky about where you put your plot like what you were saying um and then there would be some benefit from the, could be some benefit from that too so and but then there's give and take there too, because you might end up having to put one not exactly where you want it. Because there's always it's, give it's and take when you're on a budget, and, yeah. that's, and the smaller your budget, the more give. Yeah. So you have to find that middle ground mm-hmm. to where your budget is and and your give is. Yeah. And find the middle ground between the two of them, where you're satisfied, and that goes from the other end of the spectrum too. Yeah. Find that ground where you're satisfied. If you don't have a budget, but you have an idea then find the ground between your idea and the budget mm-hmm. and, and everywhere in between. But I like what you just said right there. It doesn't matter if you're doing a quarter of an acre or if you're doing five acres, as long as you do things the right way. Yeah. yeah. You know, what are you using? 
uh, big equipment or you're doing things by hand, try to strive to do things the right way. Yeah. You do things the right way, you'll get the results that you want. Yeah, and timing's everything yes. when it comes to that and doing it the right way. And I'll add another one that, that I didn't even think about before, but when you said the way you used to do it, it's a lot similar to the way I started doing them, but also just a little hand tiller, if you want to put in the work and get the dirt worked up, in a lot of places, you can get out there with a hand tiller and walk it like you would a garden and put that work in, too. I mean, well, remember where we uh, first did that yeah. little hunting plot there yep. at, at my place, you know? That's the way we did it. We was out there with a weed eater. You know? a, Murray lawn, a weed eater, a Murray <laughs> lawnmower. Murray lawnmower. And, shit, and a yeah. hand tiller. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, hey, that freaking Murray lawnmower uh, pulled a deer before, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and you know, we, it, it did what we wanted it to do. We did it's that. Just, it, yeah. We had put more... Yeah, back work into it, but there's nothing wrong with back work, and that's the thing with society. More it, it, I I'm from a different generation. You know, you get you you get out of it what you put what into, you put it. into it. Yep, we and, did, we started that plot that's had a lot of big bucks in it. Yep, with um, an old Murray lawnmower from who knows when, a weed eater, uh, a sprayer. That we initially used with some diesel fuel and a, a lighter. A little bit of diesel fuel and a lighter, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a hand tiller. And then a little push behind grass cedar. I didn't even have the over-the-shoulder over the right. cedar when we started that one. Yep. So, And like I said, we've had big bucks in that thing and, mm-hmm. and had some success over it too. So definitely, like I said, I'd add in the hand tiller because that's not necessarily expensive. I don't know what they go for at Lowe's or whatever. but And you don't need it, but I mean, if you... If that budget just increases just a little bit, that's another thing you can add onto there. Yep. And they make some pretty good self-propelled ones that will take a little bit of the work out of it. Obviously, still more work than a tractor. But so that in mind, I want to take the next leap up. And the next thought I kind of had, which is the way we did that plot the next year, was adding either an ATV or a side by side. Now, a side by side, the price is going to fall kind of more into closer to what you could get a a utility tractor for of a certain size. But with the utility tractor, if you're going to do that, you're going to buy the implements. So I've got that in kind of the next level of the budget. But with the ATV or the side-by-side, you can kind of upgrade your sprayer a little bit. You can upgrade your seed spreader a little bit. They do make some tillage equipment for those. It's not always the best. But like I said, we did that, that small plot with just an old... I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a plow, but... (laughs) It was kind a piece of, of almost, crap that I threw together. Almost a chisel plow. <laughs> that was a Jeff Fry special. That's right. Yeah. But anyway. It should be patented, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Let's not try that. Well, it could be. But so my Danger ne- there. My next, <laughs> my next step in the budget would be ATV uh, side-by-side. And I get a ton of use just in the business uh, out of that Can-Am 450 four-wheeler spraying and spreading seed we i've put a ton of hours miles on that thing in circles spraying spraying plots got a 25 gallon sprayer that we run on it with 10 foot booms so you can get out there and and cover quite a bit of ground and kill knock your time down a lot from that four gallon backpack sprayer and then the cedar you got a 90 pound capacity cedar on there that's going to broadcast that stuff and that's going to be just that much faster than than the hand spreader so if you've got that bump in your budget, I think that's kind of the next. That would yeah. be my next level. The the one thing I want to touch on that too, though, uh, if you're if you're going to go to that, um, you can get on any farm site mm-hmm. and get you a light bar. Add that light bar on there so that way you're not overlapping too much, but you're also getting the coverage that you want. Right. Whether it goes with spraying or it goes with seeding or whatever, and uh, you know it. It will save you a lot in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think your next step, what you're talking about now, is okay. I I want my budget to the point where I don't have to hand do everything. So I'm going to increase my plot size a little bit, but yet I, I maybe my plot size is okay, but I can't get to it with bigger equipment. Mm-hmm. So you know maybe four wheelers the best avenue to take to get to your plot. Yep. Or you have you, you may have three acres worth of plots, but they're in six different spots, so you have yep. six half acre plots. 
So you don't need those uh, smaller tractors and the, and the smaller implements. You just need that four-wheeler with a 10-foot boom. Sometimes that might be plenty. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. And even it, if you've got, yeah. like, say, a 70-, 80-acre piece that lays mostly in a north and south lay, it's not very wide. You can use that four-wheeler to get up to, the say, the north end of it if you're starting on the south end and take all that seed up there and stuff that otherwise you'd have to walk up there, and maybe you wouldn't have done that before. And now you can get a plot up there because you've got an easier way to take everything up there and get it done. So there's that aspect of it too, I, I, in my opinion. Or if you're doing a mountainside like we did in a couple of <laughs> yeah. places, you know, yep. I'd a lot rather been on a four wheeler than what <laughs> what mm-hmm. I was on. Yeah, and that utility Sissy. tractor. It, you know, but we got her but, done. Yeah, yeah, and there's obviously a lot of benefit to that, and I think that's the next step. And then obviously, then when you get a four wheeler, it can be used for a lot of other stuff in hunting too. But then, kind of my next jump from that would be getting into like the utility tractor. Whether you're talking twenty five horse, thirty horse, thirty five, then you're going to get into the implements too. So with that, like a disc or a tiller or both, depending on your situation and where you're at, because there's places you can't run a tiller, <laughs> and there's places that Unless you just grow to fescue. Yeah, with rocks. Yeah. And there's places that you can run a tiller and Not get a lot better there. get a lot better dirt turned over than with just the disc. Even though I think there's still a lot of benefit to have running a disc too if you do have a tiller. And then another thing would be a planter. So now you can start maybe thinking about putting some grain into your mix too, if you can get up to that point. And even if you don't have a planter, you can broadcast grain and, and then disc over the top of it, disc it down to kind of somewhat the depth you need, especially with beans and corn. You can do that with some success. It's not going to be the same as if you've got a planter. But, again, if we're bumping up to that budget, I think a planter is a pretty good investment as well. It is, but uh, if you keep in mind your your goal is to produce foliage. Mm-hmm. Uh, forage. Forage. Yeah. Okay. So do you have to have that planter that plants perfectly straight rolls that right. are 18 inches apart all the way down the line? Or can you broadcast a seed and disc it under and have just, uh, I mean, you're not going to harvest it anyway. You're not looking for 200 bushel corn. Right. You're, you're looking for something to feed the deer. So what can you live with? What can you do? Um, if you get out of the, out of your mind, your neighbors that are planting a thousand acres right. in straight rows that are growing, you know, 200 bushel corn, that's not what you're after. Right. And there's, you still got to strive to do, like we said, do things the right way, but your expectations don't need to be that perfectly groomed ag field. That do you, you see. If you want to spend that yeah. the money on the high end of it, they're going to look as good as your neighbors and all that that they're harvesting. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, doesn't mean you're not accomplishing the same thing. The, the big thing, because I come from a farming background, the big thing with corn, soybeans, milo, Mm-hmm. or grains what, in general grains in general is you got to get your seed depth right mm-hmm. if you've got i don't care you know uh, i don't care if it's a planter from the 1930s mm-hmm. you know or if it's a new modern uh plot master you know but <clears throat> each individual seed requires a certain uh soil contact and depth yeah. And so if you can get your uh, soil contact and depth right, you know, like corns, let's just say if you're planting corn, you're talking inch and a half, two inches. You know, you got to get that seed in the ground. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, it will grow if you just broadcast it, but you're going to have a lot better better results, you know, if you plant it like it should be planted. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, as long as you got some equipment, and it don't have to be, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to. Be it fancy. don't have to be a thirty thousand dollar piece of equipment or right. whatever. You know, you can buy you a two row planter from the nineteen thirties for a couple hundred dollars, right? And as long as it gets it in there and covers the seed where it has that uh, soil contact, like it needs to be, and gets this root development going, well, then you're going to see the results that you that you desire Mm -hmm. and that's the benefit i think of a planter versus like the broadcasting and discing where you're still going to get some of it that looks really good you're not going to get the same germination rate that you will with the planter because it's just more precise 
And oh, another thing I was going to add when we were talking about the four wheeler stuff, and I just came back to me. We were talking about putting the work in with the lower end of the budget. Obviously, that's going to be more work than the end of the like the higher end of the budget. But don't mistake us for saying that as you get higher on the budget, it's going to be no work at all because you're going to have to work from the low end of this budget all the way to the high end. Somebody's going to have to. There's still going to be work put into it. There, there is work into it, whether whether you do it or whether you have it done. There's still a certain amount of work. It's just the time that you're willing to spend versus the money you're willing to spend to a certain point. So mm-hmm. if you're willing to spend time and money on a half an acre, that's that's fantastic. You're, you're doing what you want to do. you you got to plan. you you got an end goal and all that. If, if you've got five acres you want planted and you're just going to throw money at it and say, this is what I expect, and you're going to pay a company to do that for you, there's still that, that company's going to put the work in. Yeah. You may not, but the company is. Well, I'm thinking well, more on, like, if you've got the budget to spend on this equipment for yourself, not necessarily paying someone to come in and do it, but like if, just because you're spending the higher end of this budget on this equipment, don't think you're not going to have to put any work in. You're still going to have to put some work into it, and it's still not going to be easy. Yeah, unless it's a Tesla, it's not going to run itself. <laughs> it's, right. Yeah, it's not going to be as much work as the lower end. Well, Russia outlawed sure. them. Oh, yeah. The Teslas. I'm yeah. not in Russia, so. Well, fortunately, we're not, but, you know. So, with that, <laughs> the next step on the budget, which the Teslas would be on the very far end. I'm just budget. saying. But the next step that I had would be... A no-till drill, and then, because some of, I mean, those obviously are pretty expensive if you get what you need for food plotting, and then, like, a one-pass implement, kind of like what we saw up at the show and what you see advertised on Facebook and stuff. The plot masters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I don't know really a good name to call them other than a one-pass implement where it's got you disc, seed, and drag all in one shot, and some guys put a sprayer on the front of whatever they're using to run it, and they'll spray disc and... Uh, drag disc plant and drag all in one pass that would be kind of that the i think the very high end of the budget because you have to have you can't just buy that thing and go make a food plot you still have to have the equipment with the proper horsepower which is generally a tractor they make some of it for the atvs and, and side by sides as far as the one pass implements go but you have to either have that or a tractor to run them so you're talking that money on top of the money for the actual implement itself or let me the no-till drill or the one pass do you think most of those implements or most of that price range that you're in now are commercial guys that are doing work for other guys? Or I, I or do you think that our guy's going to say, you know what, I'm going to put my own food plots and I've got an endless budget, I'm just going to go write a check? I think they're probably shooting more for the the actual end user of the guys putting in their the, own plots. The commercial guy. You really think so? I think it makes – I think – their goal is to make it as easy as those guys on the, I don't want to say the thinking aspect of it, but maybe the time. It saves them time. And then all they have to do, like as far as it goes, is spray it, put the seed in that thing, and then run it. They don't have to know. I mean, you get it set at the right depth. They don't have to know all the stuff that the commercial guys have to know. Well, I just kind of figured that, that at that price range, you're, you're looking at mostly commercial guys. I think it's probably a mix, but I think those I really think those guys are probably shooting for ease of use for the guys that want to do their own plots. That are and it's not gonna be the guys that are doing half acre plots. It's gonna be the guys that have a lot of acres and a lot of acres of food but plots. Most of those guys are gonna hire commercial guys to do it for them, are they not? I'd, I well I guess it depends I on mean, the guy. I mean I don't know. I'm just asking you. You know, we talked to some people from Florida mm-hmm. that had flown up to yeah. Iowa uh to buy property. Now, whether the show just happened to be at that same time or whether they kind of planned that, we didn't really ask them that. But those guys aren't going to buy that implement to to plant that ground in Iowa. They're in, they live in Florida. They're yeah. going to pay guys like you to to work their ground for them yeah. and do whatever you want to do, whatever they want done. I think there's a big number of people though that actually do do their own stuff, or they live on the ground or whatever. Uh, you just take a look at the like the habitat managers groups that are on Facebook that have tens of thousands of members on them. 
a lot of those guys are doing their own stuff. Yeah, but are they doing using, it at the at that kind of level? You I think? think okay, not a bunch of them, obviously, because we're talking about a pretty expensive level. Obviously, we're at the end of the budget now, but I think I think those guys are probably shooting more, still shooting more for the the actual guys that own the property, because that's there's a lot more guys that I think from what I've seen, there's a lot more guys that own property doing their own food plots than there are guys like us that are doing plots for other people. Now, we do more acreage total than those guys, obviously, but I still think there's more guys out there that have their own property that do their own stuff than there are guys that have property and hired out. Now, we see a lot more of the other side, the guys that have property and hired out, obviously, because of what we do. Right. But I think there's probably more guys that do their own stuff. But but the guys that and do their own the stuff, end. are they at the higher end? That's what I'm asking. Guys that do their own stuff, are they at the lower end with the hand seeders well, I think it's and both. the tillers? Or, and, not necessarily or, but and, the guys that have just enough that they want to get the implements, or maybe they got enough property that they got a little tractor on the on the property that they keep in the shed, and they just have to buy that little whatever, versus that guy that's going to spend $30,000 on a one-pass tool well, that I they think- keep in the shed for... The nine ma- months. The majority of guys doing their own plots are the guys on the lower end of the budget. But I think the majority, also the majority of the guys that are buying that equipment are doing their own stuff, if that makes sense. so Yeah, yeah, I understand. There's a middle. Because if you're like us, I don't want a one-pass machine. I want to have the each individual implement so I can use it in each individual circumstance. Because I'm not always going to use the disc on that one-pass implement when I can just take the disc out there and use it if I don't want to haul all that other crap with it. If I need to just go disc something, I'm not going to take... I don't want to take something that has the cedar and the drag on it, too, that i got to mess with where I can just take the disc. I'm going to get more utility out of having a separate planter and a disc and a drag and sprayer than everything all combined into one. I well, At least that's my opinion. I would rather have the separate implements that I can use in separate circumstances than just using one thing all the time but i'd say there are you know as far as the one pass thing goes obviously there's probably plenty of commercial guys that use that as well if they're just doing food plots and i think uh, the other thing i mentioned the no-till drill that's something that i think's on both sides of that too a ton of commercial guys using that ton of guys with their own property using that and that's i think one of the most you best utilize tools that you can get if you're up to that point because you don't have to worry about near as much of the weeds you can dial that thing in right to where you need the the seed depth to be it's accurate you're going to get good germination rates and stuff like that as long as the weather cooperates obviously but that's a big one for me i would be more on the no-till side than i would be the one pass implements but that's just my thoughts on that either either way i mean whatever whichever side of the spectrum you're on mm-hmm. you're only going to get the results on the amount of money and the time that you put into it mm-hmm. you know you can't put in a thousand dollars you know you can't budget a thousand dollars on a food plot and expect to get a ten thousand acre or ten thousand dollar food plot like you see on tv right no right you know you know what i'm saying so that is a key thing there uh you However much money you have to budget it, how much time and work you have to put into it, that's the results you're going to get, and that's what you should expect out of it. Yep. The, the more time try to, and the more effort you put into it, I don't want to say the less money, but time time and effort equates to the, to the overall dollar figure that you're talking about. Exactly. Let me try to bundle this up. So I've heard guys talk about, because I play guitar, so... I myself can make a thousand dollar guitar sound like a hundred dollar guitar, right? Really easy. I can't make a hundred dollar guitar sound like a thousand dollar guitar necessarily. Exactly. Sort of kind of wrap that up what you're saying, which is a really good point. You can take a thousand dollar budget and get a ten dollar food plot. Mm-hmm. You're not going to take a thousand dollar budget and get a ten thousand dollar food. No, plot. you're not. No, if you I, spend a thousand, just because you spend a thousand dollars, if you spend that and don't put the work in. You're going to end up with a $10 food plot. Yep. That's the reality of it. 
Yep. Uh, there's no way around it. No matter where you're at on the spectrum, you got to put in whatever work is required. Now there may be little, there may be less work required on the high end of the spectrum than there is on the low end. Yeah, but not but only you, the work, you, but the money also. You yeah. Know, uh, I mean, there's that balance. Yeah. On the lower end of the spectrum, you're spending less money but more work. On the higher end, you're spending more money but less work, but you still have to put the both amount in whatever percentages they are to get exactly. to that hundred percent. Yep. So. That's pretty good. I think that's probably a good spot to wrap it up for this week too, unless you guys got more thoughts on on any of that stuff. But I could be good a place as any to wrap it up. I think we hit on a lot of good stuff. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it out there listening. If you want to support us, like I said, go check out Racks Big Game Supplements. Some really cool guys that we're working with now. Another way you can go to RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. Like I said, it's planting season. Go get your seed from there. We've got our own blend of clover and chicory. We carry a lot of other blends as well. Um, you can go to Apple Podcasts if you're not listening to this there and leave us a review. We always appreciate that, and that helps us out as well. Whether you think it's good or bad, let us know. If you're listening on Spotify, follow us there. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. we got some more cool stuff coming this year, hopefully, for you guys. I plan on having some cool videos and stuff out, too, like we talked about last week. And that's some ways you guys can can support us. So we appreciate you guys listening. Hope you keep Keep tuning in, and we'll be back again next week. I don't know the schedule for next week for sure. We're going to have one come out Saturday with Steve Shirk's going to be on next week. I might try to get one in on our normal schedule too. So there may be two next week. If there's not two next week, it'll be on Saturday. So look for that coming up. Thanks for listening, guys.